go to the Lord again. Lord, as we turn now to the preaching of your word, we pray that you will feed our souls. Father, we pray that you will do what we cannot. We pray that you will open our eyes to what is spiritual, to what is eternal. Father, we pray that you will do a work among your people this morning. We pray also for Pastor Tom of Covenant Community Church. Father, as he goes before your people and preaches your word, pray that you will strengthen him as well. Father, the the weight that is upon his shoulders, I pray that you will lighten his load. I pray that you will help him, Father God, to endure. Lord, we pray that you will also help Pastor Bobby of Foundation Church in Fredericksburg. Pray that you will help him and his family. Pray that you will help the people of Foundation and the people of Covenant to see the gospel for all that it is. May we not be casual when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, may we see that it is good news every day. Father, I pray that you also help Pastor Kogo and Nakuru, pastor of Covenant Baptist Church. Father, I pray for that dear brother and his wife, Jackie, and their children. I pray that you will strengthen them, Father, that you will draw more people to yourself through the ministry of Covenant Baptist Church. Lord, pray that you will bless them with more men who will lead the church, who will come alongside Pastor Kogo. Father, that they will be strong, not in the number, not in who they are, but in zeal for the gospel. Father, that's my prayer for us. Father, at the end of the day, it's not about how many seats we have. It's not about the number of people. It's about you. It is about the gospel resonating deeply in us and through us and that you're glorified among the people that you call. Father, I pray that you will do the same for the Guyana of Sudan another people group who need this good news. Father, may your people, may Redeemer Church not rest until the gospel is spread all over the world and every tongue of every nation and tribe confesses that you are Lord. Father, may that ever be on our minds and in our hearts, the desire for you to be known all over the world. Father, we thank you for ministries like the North American Mission Board, who are planting churches all over North America to do just that. We thank you for the support that we have through them. Father, pray that we can return that support and more churches be planted through them and more will confess Jesus. Lord, thank you that we have this time together in the preaching of your word. Lord, I ask that you now will help me Help me not to speak in error. May it not be in my own strength or in my own understanding, but may I be your instrument for your people. It's in your name. Amen. We are in our second week of Advent this week. And 
Advent is this time that we prepare for the coming of Christ, the the celebration of Christmas. Like many of you, I didn't grow up with Advent. I do remember as a kid reading Christmas, the Christmas story, candlelight services, singing Christmas songs, but we didn't do Advent when I was a kid. If my parents had known about Advent, I think they would have included it. They would have done it with us because Advent, what Advent does, it takes a step back and spends a lot of time teaching you and helping you to see what all went on before that first Christmas morning. It goes back into the Old Testament and it explains the great and marvelous plan that that took place. A plan that God established and what he fulfilled through thousands of years. Thousands of years his plan unfolded. God's people waiting and wanting the long-awaited Messiah to come and to save them. This, this idea of preparing for his arrival and wanting him to come, that, that is Advent. And having that, having that helps you to be filled with joy. Having things like Advent helps fill your heart with joy. You see, it's more than the excitement of Christmas. And I remember when I was a kid, and I can see it in in my kids today, the excitement that comes with Christmas. But it's more than that excitement. It's about having joy at Christmas. Advent takes the joy of the Christmas season, and it increases it exponentially. It's like multiplying it in every direction. Picture, it's like a a little fireball, this excitement of Christmas. It's like a little fireball. And what Advent does, it turns it into a roaring fire of flames of joy in your heart. And that, that is what warms you. That is the joy that can only come in our hearts if we see the immense glory and the beauty and the deep meaning of Christ's coming. That is Christmas. So is your heart ready for the joy of Christmas? Are you looking to the excitement of Christmas? Are you looking to the joy of Christmas? Are you ready for Christ to come? See, what's really good about Advent is that it has really one purpose. And that is to turn all our thoughts and our attention away from all the extra things that surround the Christmas season. And it centers all of it right there on Christ. The burning love of God seen in the one who came to save his people. It's so easy today to get caught up in the Christmas season and lose the focus of celebrating that love-filled joy that Christ brings. That's why I'm glad that my kids are learning Advent and that we as a church, we are setting aside a time every year to do Advent. And what I really want us to take in, what I really want Advent to do is to do a work in our hearts this way. This roaring fire, the flames of joy rising up within us. 
This year's theme is God with us. You'll remember from last week in the meaning of Emmanuel, the one word Emmanuel, it means God with us. You also remember from last week that we went through first looking at Emmanuel's deity. God with us came and he was God. That little child in the manger on that Christmas morning is really the son of God. God coming to be with us. The one who made the heavens, who knows the number of the stars in the sky, who counts the hair on your head, meaning he knows you better than he, you know yourself. The one who's the greatest in all of the universe, he came so that you can be with him. You see, you cannot go to God on your own. But what's impossible with man is possible with God. God made a way. Jesus is that way to God. He came to bring you to himself so that that joy, that roaring fire of joy, that Advent helps prepare in our hearts, you can have that for all eternity because of Jesus. He he did that. Emmanuel is God's way of overcoming what is completely beyond our ability. Jesus is God. We settled that last week. And without him, you and I are helpless. That's why we sang last week the beginning song, Hark the herald the angels sing. And in the second verse, Veiled in flesh the Godhead see, Hail the incarnate deity, Pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus, our Emmanuel. Only the eternal God can overcome our sin problem and give eternal life to finite people who need a miracle in our lives in order to be in his infinitely glorious presence. Only God can do that. Today, we're looking at Emmanuel's humanity. Jesus is fully God, but he's also fully man. He is the God-man, perfectly God, perfectly man. And the truth is, every single one of us, every person on the planet takes issue with either one or the other. Every person either takes issue with Jesus being fully God or Jesus being fully man. Some take issue with him being fully God, even some who say they believe in him. For Jesus to be fully God, that means what he says then has final authority over everything. And a lot of people take issue with things that Jesus said. Jesus spoke with authority. Jesus said in order to live, you have to first die. You have to die to your old life. You have to die to your sin. You have to die to your self-reliance, your focus on yourself, your obsession with you. People hear that and they don't want to do that. So they either ignore that he's God or they say he can't be God. And if he's not God, then what he says doesn't hold any authority over them. They merely become suggestions to do. There are people you and I know, we don't have to think very long, we don't have to think very hard, of people we know who claim to believe in Jesus Christ and yet they ignore him. See, what they're really doing, they're rejecting him as God. 
To reject God is to turn away from the one who has power over all of life, including your life. Maybe you have rejected God. Maybe you haven't said that, but ignoring Jesus is rejecting him because he is God. For me, I was in the other camp. Before I became a Christian and in the early years of my faith, I had a hard time believing that Jesus has two natures. Where one nature, he's fully God, we established that last week, and with the other, where he is fully man at the same time. And I I struggled with that. I wrestled with him being fully human. I used to say, if Jesus is God, then he can't be a man. He's God. How can God be both? To say that Jesus is fully God and fully man is saying that he's 100% God and 100% man. I can do math. I I love math. You can't have 200% of the same thing. That defies God's own scientific laws, I would say. You see, I thought I understood God's universe and I thought I had good insight into who Jesus is. I even looked to the Bible and I pointed to Philippians chapter 2, verse 7, which says this. Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. I looked to words in that verse, taking the form of, being born in the likeness of, being found in human form, and I concluded he wasn't fully man. He was like a man, yes. But he couldn't have been a man. He's God. He had the the outer shell of a man, I would say. He was God on the inside, and he looked like a man on the outside. By God's grace, I came to see the real truth. I came to see that I was really wrong about both natures of Jesus. I didn't even have a full grasp on Jesus being fully God like I thought I did. You see, if Jesus is God, that means he's omnipotent. That means he's all-powerful. He has full power as God. He has might that goes beyond measure. That means God can do anything. Jesus can do anything. If Jesus is God, he can raise dead men to life. If he's God, he can raise himself back to life. If Jesus is God, he can do what's impossible. God is not bound by his universe. He created his universe. He controls and sustains his universe. God can do what no one else can do. Those scientific laws that I I turn to, those are under God's control. They respond to his voice. They only exist because God tells them to exist. God can do the impossible. He is not controlled by his creation. He controls it. He's outside of the natural laws of life. He exists beyond the laws of this life. He has to if he created it. If he decides to go beyond the natural, he can. So that obliterated my idea of this 200%. That's nonsense. God can do the impossible. But I had to also grow in understanding Jesus at the same time he's fully God. He is fully man. 
God began to show me more and more of this in his word about himself. And there are 10, 10 reasons to believe that Jesus is fully man. Not one, that would be enough. Not just a couple, that would kind of prove it more so. But 10, 10 proofs that keep adding up until the last one that pulls it all together. And when I saw all of this, it catapulted me to the other side where God is Jesus, Jesus is a man, and Jesus is God. He has two natures. And I hope that does this for you as well. All that joy that's at Christmas. My Savior is fully God and fully man. You cannot understand the joy of Christmas until you see the two natures of Jesus Christ. This is where Christians differ from everybody else. It's not just a religion. It's not just different things that we do. If you're a Christian this morning, the two natures of Jesus does something both for you and in you this morning. It does something for you that isn't done for anyone else that's caught up in false religion. You see, you need to have Jesus with two natures. You need Jesus to have two natures. Your life depends on Jesus having two natures. If Jesus doesn't have two natures, then you can't be Christian. We already know that he's God, but we also need to know that he is fully a man. Let me walk through those 10 evidences to show you Jesus's humanity. Number one, Jesus is fully a man because he was born of a woman. Jesus is fully a man because he was born of a woman. Jesus began his earthly existence the same way that you and I came into this world. He didn't just appear like the angels do in the scriptures. He was conceived in the womb of a virgin. Luke tells us in chapter 2, verse 7, while Joseph and Mary were in Bethlehem, it says she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. Mary went through the pains of childbearing and gave birth to a baby boy who they named Jesus. This fulfilled what God said all the way back in Genesis 3.15 when God said he will put enmity between the devil and the woman, between his offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. There in the manger, this little baby boy was the offspring of the woman. This child laid in the manger was the offspring of the woman. A child was there in the manger. The Son of God is given, but the child was born of a woman. To be born of a woman, he has to have a body. This is the second proof. In John 1 verse 14, we're told, The Word who is God became flesh. Jesus was born of bone and flesh, and he has flesh and bones. This is part of what Paul meant in Philippians, the very passage I used to turn to, by Jesus taking the form of a servant. That is the real meaning. Now, it's not all of what Paul was talking about. It's, it's part of what he means. Jesus was found in the form of a human being. Like all other men, he has a body. And in this body, Jesus grew physically. In the same chapter there in Luke 2, 
Verse 40, it says, He grew and became strong. Then in verse 42, we see He grew from infant to 12 years old. Later in verse 52, it says, Jesus grew in stature or in years. This means when He was a child, Jesus could not do what an adult can do. He had physical limitations. As he grew, he was able to do more just like the rest of us. Being God, Jesus could have come down as a man to begin his ministry. He didn't need to do a ministry as God, but he didn't. He came as an infant and his body grew as he got older. He experiences the phases of adolescence and the awkward preteen and teenage years and then into adulthood. And in his body, Jesus hungered and he thirsted, Scripture tells us. He fasted and became hungry. He ate meals and he drank from cups with the disciples and his followers. When he was on the cross, he said what? I thirst. To have a body, for it to grow, to have hunger and thirst, means Jesus had the bodily functions of a human being, not just the shell. He didn't just look like a human being. He lived as one with all the limits, with all the physical weaknesses we have. He did this while never losing his godly nature. Jesus never stopped being God while he was man. This is more of what Paul meant in Philippians 2. He said in verses 6 and 7, Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So here's Jesus, the Son of God, who is God, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. Before Jesus came to earth, he was in the form God. We knew him as God. The Father and the Son with the Holy Spirit always together in eternity past. The three are one. When Jesus was born in a human body, he voluntarily limited his divine powers. He emptied himself of his infinite ability and he put himself with human limits. But he never stopped being God. While continuing to be God, he took the form of a human being. So Jesus was born of a woman. He had a real physical body. And then in number three, Jesus had or has a mind. Jesus has a mind. The same verse in Luke 2.52 tells us he not only grew physically, he grew in understanding. It says he increased in wisdom. In his human nature, Jesus had to learn things. While being God, this means Jesus is omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knows things before they happen. He even ordains them to happen. That's how he's able to tell the disciples about his death and the outcome of it and the purpose of it. He prays to the Father. He says, I and the Father are one, and he never lost that. But in his human nature, Jesus was taught and he was instructed There were things he had to learn. His mind needed to develop. He learned to talk and to read and to write. When he was a boy, he learned the scriptures. When he was a boy, he was under the authority and the guidance of his parents. They taught him things and his mind grew in wisdom. 
Number four, Jesus has a heart. He felt sorrow and pain. He was called a man of sorrows, but he also had joy. When he looked to the cross before him, it says he had joy in his heart. This is more than outward appearances and physical functionality of a human body. To have sorrow and joy, that comes from the inside of who a person is. He also had compassion for others. He wept when he saw Mary and Martha weeping over their dead brother Lazarus. Jesus saw that and he began weeping. He wept for Jerusalem because of their unbelief. He got angry at the religious hypocrites. He had disdain for the religious leaders who had hard hearts and who oppressed others. Real emotions that testify to his humanness. Jesus had feelings and he has them now and he expressed them. So Paul saying Jesus took on the form of a servant born in the likeness of men Found in human form means Jesus was in every way a human being. Physically, emotionally, mentally, but Jesus was different. Jesus was different, and this leads us to the next one, number five. Jesus was tempted. Like every other human being, Jesus was tempted to do evil. But unlike every other human being, while he was tempted, Jesus resisted those temptations. He never gave in to a single one. And right before Jesus began his earthly ministry, Jesus went into the desert and he was tested by the devil. Hebrews 4.15 says he was tempted in every way and yet he was without sin. He knew no sin. He never broke God's law. He knew the temptations. Everything that lures you into sin, Jesus was exposed to. He was tempted and yet he was without sin. Number six, Jesus died. While I could have included this in number two about his body, it's more than that. It's more important than just his body dying. So it's number six to explain it on its own. Jesus died. God in the form of a man died. When his ministry came to an end, he went to the cross. He was given a crown of thorns. He was whipped. The nails were driven into his hands and feet and he bled. At the appointed time when he accomplished what he set out to do, he then said, it is finished. And his heart stopped beating and he died. Number seven. Eyewitnesses prove Jesus' humanity. During his approximately 33 years on the earth, no one ever disputed that Jesus was a man. His disciples, the Jews who plotted against him, encountered him, even his own family, no one ever argued about his humanity. The fact that he is God is what they challenged. They said he had to only be a man. They saw him as a person like everyone else. When he came around, they didn't see God. They saw Jesus of Nazareth, not the Son of God. Only by grace through faith did anyone come to see Jesus as more than a man. And it's still that way today. 
And while we need to see that he is more than a man, we cannot and we should not overlook that he is fully a man. And the people near to him proved it. Number eight, the Bible calls Jesus the second Adam. The first Adam was in the garden with creation. He was the first man. And he brought sin into this world. The first Adam brought sin into this world. And every person after him is born a sinner. All we know of in this life is a life filled with sin. But except Jesus. Jesus was tempted and yet he never sinned. Jesus was a new man. A perfect man without sin. He is the beginning of a new race now. He is a new Adam where all with him will one day live in eternity without sin. 1 Corinthians 15.45 says Jesus gives life. That means all the people with Jesus will have a new life now that's modeled after his life. He's from heaven and he takes his people to be with him there forever and they bear his image without sin. To do this, Jesus has to be the first fruits. He had to come and live this life first. He had to come and die. And then he was resurrected and has this glorious body now. In Christ, all who believe are made alive with real bodies that go on forever. Through Jesus' sinlessness, all who receive grace from God have lives that overcome sin, and one day we will be without sin because of the second Adam. Number nine, Jesus' humanity was contested in the early church, and it was determined that he has to be human for any part of our faith to be true. Turn with me, if you will, to 1 John chapter 4, verse 2. 1 John chapter 4, verse 2 is page 1023 in the church Bible. John tells us that we are to test the spirits to know if they are from God. Right? We, we know we live in a temporal life. It's a physical life, but it's not all physical There is a spiritual side to life. And John tells us to test the spirits that are about us. And look at how he says we are to know if the spirits are from God. 1 John 4.2 says this, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Now turn with me a couple of pages. It's only two pages in the church Bible. The second John, verse 7. Second John, verse 7. It says this. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus, what? In the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. The early church fought false teachers that said Jesus was not in the flesh. He was not fully human. 
It continued for several hundred years until they had a church council and they nailed it and they said, Jesus is fully human. The scriptures tell us that. And sad thing is that it still goes on today. There are people like me who can't see it. We need our eyes open to what's said right here in the scriptures. Lastly, number 10. It's from Luke 1, verse 35. It pulls it all together for us. The power of God and his humanity all in the same verse. When Jesus' birth was foretold to Mary, she asked, how will this be since I am a virgin? It's impossible. The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power, the almighty full power of God, the most high, will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. God has the power to conceive a child in the womb of a virgin for her to carry the child all through pregnancy and that child to be born holy without sin without any hint of defilement from the woman, this child is born holy and still be the son of God all in the same event. Do you see that? All of it pulled together right there. The power of God, the humanness of Christ together in one person and two natures. God has the power to conceive a child. Here we have both natures of Jesus pulled out for us to see in just one verse. He is the Son of God, all-powerful, all-knowing, perfectly holy. And he's the child born, laying in that manger with human limitations, still perfectly holy. Two natures, one person. He did not follow the first Adam. He was the second Adam few verses before it, it says God will give him the throne of his father, David. The rod of Jesse. Isaiah spoke of a shoot rising up out of a stump of Jesse. And the branches from that root will bear fruit. That's why the Bible takes great care to show Jesus is in the line of David. Jesse was King David's father. And God promised David that a new king would come and sit on his throne again. And Jesus is that promise. Only God can take his nature and put it with human nature and fulfill a promise that's never broken. So what do these ten truths about Jesus' humanity add up to for you? What do they add up to? I don't want to just simply list these ten and leave it there. I want you to see their significance. I want you to know the life-changing truths of these proofs that Jesus was fully man and fully God. Here's what they do. Jesus being fully man means this. He's able to sympathize with you in your weakness and your limitations. He knows your pain and your sorrows. He knows the joy and he knows how bad you need it. And he never misses the mark of giving you that joy. You need joy and Jesus gives it. He understands the temptations you have. Every single temptation 
he was tempted with. And he provides escape from them for you. Being the second Adam, Jesus is the beginning of a new human race. He gives us hope for new life, a real life that's lived in the presence of the Father. See, the Jews never understood that. They saw Jesus as blaspheming God and a man who was filled with evil spirits. He was possessed by evil spirits. But by being the second Adam, rising again from the dead, Jesus is the start of eternal life for you. He's the only one who is between the Father and us. We cannot go to the Father on our own, but Jesus can, and he takes us with him. He is our mediator. Jesus is our substitute and sacrifice. He fulfilled every part of God's law. He is perfectly obedient, and when he went to the cross, he died in our place so that we will not have eternal death. We can have life. He is the only one who can take our punishment for sin. See, he has to be fully human to take our human punishment for sin. Every thought, every deed, every desire, Jesus takes. He's the only one who can be punished with that and be put to death and then be resurrected again. Human nature, he understands. He knows everything about you. He understands everything about you. He feels, he knows about this life, and he overcomes it all, and it gives you hope for a new life. Everything you experience, he understands. Everything we do in this life, he does what we're supposed to. He fulfills what God tells us to. He then gives us a new life to then do what God says. See, the child born to the virgin is fully human and still holy to be our example and to help us in every way. Jesus is truly Emmanuel, God with us. God has shown me, and I pray the same for you, that Jesus is God and he's man with full humanity. So all who believe in him will not perish, but have eternal life with him. This life is not all there is. There is more and Jesus brings it to us. By faith, we have to believe that Jesus is the way to God. He is the God-man who is our savior and he's the reason All who believe are now called children of God. Let's pray.